Hello and welcome back to Endopod. This is Hepsi Xavier and I'm a third year medical student. Before we begin, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who gave our first podcast episode an immense amount of support. It is great to see that people are enjoying it. This week, for the second episode of the Covendo series, we will be taking a more holistic approach and looking at some of the stereotypes and controversies surrounding diabetes and how that fits into the current coronavirus pandemic. In particular, we will focus on children with type 1 diabetes and also on obesity. A study carried out in the US found that 83% of the parents with children who had type 1 diabetes felt there was stigma. The same study found that 52% of those with type 2 diabetes felt stigmatised. People who have diabetes must have eaten a lot of sweets. It's because they're overweight. That's what happens when you don't exercise enough. You must be really unhealthy to be on that much insulin. Diabetes is partly your own fault. These are all common stereotypes spoken about people who have diabetes, regardless of whether it's type 1 or type 2. But diabetes isn't funny. It's not something we should joke about or dismiss as an inevitable punishment for people with a sweet tooth. It's serious, and in the case of almost 30,000 children in the UK, it's a matter of life and death. Whether we like it or not, there are many people with a stereotypical mindset who think this can't happen to healthy people. As we discussed in the first episode, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition caused by the body's immune system destroying the insulin-making cells of the pancreas. It is impossible to live without insulin and therefore without their insulin-making cells, type 1 diabetics will be dead in a matter of weeks without medical intervention. An autoimmune condition is not something that a person can predict or cause. It is not fair for a child to be permanently labelled as a chocoholic or someone who must have a sweet tooth because of people's ignorance about their condition. These children go through a lot while learning how to live with diabetes and the level of judgement that goes with it. There is nothing a child or their parents can do to prevent them from getting type 1 diabetes. The misconception that parents are negligent and let their children eat too much sugar or don't give them a balanced diet, which has led to the child developing diabetes, is simply not true. There is a constant battle and learning process involved in getting the condition under control, including counting how many carbs are on your plate so you know how much insulin to use, constantly pricking your fingers to check your blood sugar levels, constantly having sugary snacks with you while doing things such as exercise so you don't collapse from a hypo, just to name a few. No child should have to deal with all of this from such a young age, but they continuously persevere and fight for their lives each and every day. As members of the public, therefore, it is vital for us to make it easier on these children and help them out in whatever way we can by not negatively labelling them or condemning them to a future of suffering and complications. So now that we've cleared the air about what type 1 diabetes really is, we can move on to the issue at hand. How are young children with diabetes coping during the pandemic? This time of the coronavirus has been a hard and trying time for us all. But have we thought about what it must be like for people managing long-term conditions such as diabetes? Not only are these people shielding themselves from the virus, but they are also fighting their diabetes as well. That's twice the struggle that the rest of us are facing. Imagine how difficult this must be for younger children, who may not have the guidance of their parents to help and advise them through this time. As of 5th June 2020, Diabetes UK are not aware of any children with diabetes who have died from the coronavirus. This gives us hope that diabetes doesn't affect the chance of survival of diabetic children from the virus. However, contracting an illness like coronavirus can make it harder for children to manage their diabetes and could even increase their risk of diabetic complications, such as diabetic ketoacidosis, which is a severe complication of type 1 diabetes when blood sugar levels reach dangerously high levels. 
We talked about this in the first episode, but as a summary, the high blood sugar levels essentially cause the blood to become more acidic, leading to breathing difficulties and even coma in serious cases. Diabetes UK have also concluded that having diabetes, regardless of what type, does not make you any more likely to catch the coronavirus, and the majority of people who do get the virus will have mild symptoms and won't need to go to hospital. However, it is still clear that people with diabetes are vulnerable to developing other secondary illnesses if they get the coronavirus, but this varies from person to person. These secondary illnesses, whether minor or severe, can make their blood sugar levels go haywire. Their bodies are working overtime to try to fight the illness by releasing stored glucose into their blood to give them more energy. But because of the damage to the insulin-making cells of the pancreas that we discussed earlier, their bodies can't produce any insulin to cope with this increased release of glucose, so their blood sugars rise. This puts them at an increased risk of potentially getting diabetic ketoacidosis or diabetic hyperosmolar hyperglycemic syndrome, also known as HHS both of which are extremely severe, life-threatening complications of diabetes. HHS occurs in mainly type 2 diabetics due to a combination of an illness such as COVID-19, dehydration and their inability to stick to their normal diabetic medications due to said illness. All of this leads to very high blood sugar levels. These high sugar levels cause water to be pulled out of cells leading to further severe dehydration. It results in confusion, neurological problems and even seizures. Understandably, this is a very scary situation for a person with diabetes, so appropriate measures must be taken to avoid it at all costs. Currently, schools in the UK are reopening, and the other condition-free children are heading back to return to their normal routine. What about children with diabetes? Diabetes shouldn't stop them from enjoying school and getting to see their friends and teachers after several months at home. It's important that schools and parents work together to make sure that children with diabetes are getting the care they need and deserve at school so that they can return without having to worry about their diabetes as a stumbling block to normality. Children living with type 1 diabetes should be applauded and commended. They don't allow their condition to weigh them down, but instead they rise above their diabetes and make the most out of the fact that they're still alive. They should be viewed as people of perseverance, endurance and strength, and not as a common stereotype or punchline of any joke. Now that we have talked about the common misconceptions in children with diabetes, let's look at some stereotypes that adults and even other children with diabetes face. It is well known that type 2 diabetes is very closely related to obesity, and there is solid evidence that those with an increased body fat are at higher risk of developing diabetes. We looked at this in the first episode, but as a summary, it is thought that excess body fat decreases your body's sensitivity to insulin, and along with factors such as genetics, this can lead to type 2 diabetes. There has always been a misconception about people with obesity and any associated illness, including diabetes, with people saying and thinking that it is their own fault for putting on weight and that they should suffer the consequences, which is obviously wrong on many levels. A BMJ study carried out in 2013 on stigma surrounding diabetes found that many negative stereotypes existed surrounding it, with derogatory terms like fat, big fat pig, lazy, couch potato and much more being recognised as terms being used against people with type 2 diabetes. Many people may not realise that obesity is not just about putting on weight from overeating. There are many factors involved, including mental health issues and even conditions such as hypothyroidism, which could lead to weight gain. 
Let's dive deeper and look at the mental health side of obesity, diabetes and the stigma surrounding it. It is often assumed that obesity is under personal control, meaning that people think a lot of times it is self-inflicted due to laziness and lack of knowledge. This can make people with obesity feel stigmatised and puts them at risk of having low self-esteem, depression and a poor quality of life. And it isn't just that obesity can lead to mental health problems, the opposite can happen too. A study in 2002 found a correlation between weight gain and issues with controlling blood sugar levels in people taking antipsychotic medications. The study found that all patients taking part who were receiving the antipsychotic treatment had higher blood sugar levels than healthy individuals. Psychiatric medications not only contribute to weight gain, but also change the body's sensitivity to insulin, leading to things like type 2 diabetes. This weight gain can further exacerbate the person's pre-existing mental health problems. In addition to mental health issues, there is also genetic and hormonal involvement in obesity. Normally, the brain controls how much food we eat by responding to signals from fat tissue, pancreas and our digestive tract. These signals are transmitted via hormones including leptin, insulin and ghrelin. Ghrelin is our hunger hormone. It helps us build an appetite to increase food intake and store fat. Leptin is our fullness hormone. It decreases appetite and tells our brain that we need to stop eating once our stomach becomes full. Genes are behind everything in our body, including these hormones. They control how much leptin and ghrelin an individual has and how effective they are. It is thought that many obese people have built up a resistance to leptin, which normally tells us when we're full, which could be a possible explanation as to why people with obesity may overeat. There are many other genes and factors involved, but this is the basis behind it. I hope it is now clear that obesity is a multifactorial condition and is the result of complex interactions among many genes and environmental factors. So, how does obesity fit into the coronavirus pandemic? I'm sure most of us are aware that obesity isn't just a condition of its own. It is associated with many other conditions such as heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, etc. So it comes as no surprise that those with obesity are at a higher risk of severe COVID-19 disease due to their associated conditions. On a more molecular level, obesity is associated with excess inflammation in the body. Inflammation refers to the body fighting off things that harm it, and it includes the action of many types of white blood cells and chemicals called cytokines, which are messenger molecules that cells use to communicate with each other. The inflammation that occurs in obesity disrupts the normal body environment, so the immune system is always busy trying to repair this inflammation. When we add an infection such as coronavirus on top of that, people with obesity simply don't have the capacity to deal with the two things at the same time. This is a possible explanation as to why people who are obese are at more risk with COVID-19. At a more holistic level, there is a common misconception that people with obesity use up our NHS resources, and that since it is all self-inflicted, they don't deserve treatment. This is a common stereotype that has been seen especially when extra stress is put on the NHS, such as during the pandemic, as there is already a shortage of staff and resources to deal with the overwhelming numbers of people in hospital. A study in 2001, carried out by Paul and Brownell, found that even healthcare professionals themselves had some bias when it came to obesity. 400 physicians were anonymously asked which patient characteristics made them uncomfortable, and one-third of them admitted that dealing with patients with obesity was uneasy. And even in recent years, this trend has been seen. 
In 2012, 620 primary care doctors were interviewed and more than 50% found that dealing with patients with obesity was awkward and found that these patients were weak-willed. They associated them with not being as compliant. We have talked in depth that obesity isn't self-inflicted and that it is a serious condition. People with obesity should be treated like any other person and they deserve medical help just as much as any other person. Stigmatizing them makes them a lot less likely to seek the help they need, which is especially important during this pandemic when they're at higher risk of severe disease. If we take people with diabetes and obesity especially, they are struggling during this lockdown without weight loss support groups in the community and their friends and family. It is difficult to stay fit and healthy during quarantine and managing blood sugar levels in itself is a big struggle as we covered in our last episode. All of these factors can deeply impact an individual with obesity and diabetes, especially their mental health, which again brings in factors like low self-esteem and feeling helpless at times. It is important that as a society, we help those around us who seem to be struggling, regardless of whether they have obesity or not. We should never think that because someone is obese, they deserve any less. We need to get rid of the stigma surrounding obesity and its related conditions like diabetes. Currently, lockdown is slowly being lifted and this gives a chance for people with obesity to get back to a routine, giving them a better quality of life. However, the coronavirus has not disappeared and the idea of a second wave will understandably be concerning and frightening for those who are at high risk. Again, we need a government level and community level effort to reassure people who are anxious. Social distancing and washing hands are still very important, but at the same time, this should not stop people with obesity from living a normal life. They deal with a lot of stigma even to this day and it is up to us as a society to weed it out, allowing them to seek help in a positive and beneficial manner. The amount of pressure they are under is unimaginable. They need to consider their own physical health, mental health and receiving stigma on top of that must be a truly difficult thing to deal with. As I said about children with type 1 diabetes, people with obesity should never become the punchline of any joke and definitely should not be seen as a common stereotype. Stereotypes and stigma are still very much present in 2020. Whether it is children with diabetes or people with obesity and diabetes, it is not okay to portray them in a negative manner. Diabetes and the associated obesity are both very real conditions which bring serious medical complications to patients suffering from them. They affect their quality of life. For example, diabetic children have to plan activities according to their condition and people with obesity have to deal with its associated complications. We have to move away from the trend of seeing a person as their condition and seeing them for who they are behind that, regardless of age or whatever condition they have. We need more headlines and social media efforts to bust the myths associated with diabetes to improve the understanding and acceptance of the general public. Medical professionals can also play a part in this since society respects them as healthcare advocates. If doctors, nurses and medical students see past the fact that a patient is obese when they present to them, society will also begin to change according to that. At the end of the day, we are here to deliver high-quality healthcare to our patients, and this includes being fair and not being prejudiced. These strategies will help people with diabetes feel at ease and not view their condition as a burden, therefore improving upon their quality of life. It will also help them get past potential guilt or self-resentment and allow them to seek medical help, which will again help them lead a better quality life. 
I hope you have enjoyed this week's Endopod episode and hopefully this has brought some of the issues surrounding stereotyping people with diabetes to light. Join us next week where we will be exploring the effect of lockdown on people with Cushing syndrome. Please do follow us on our Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages. Please like and share the podcast with all your friends and colleagues. And of course, I always welcome any feedback about our podcast. If you have any requests for future podcasts, then absolutely let us know. Stay safe and happy. This is Hepsi Xavier signing off.